Welcome to The Great Conversation, where ideas matter. Ideas can shape markets and they can change the world. We have a wonderful opportunity today because today we are going to talk to somebody who's been driving IT and, phys uh, and physical security strategy and innovation at one of the world's leading hospitals and research centers. And what we're going to be talking about today is the new title uh, that he assumed in January. It's called Chief Technology Security Officer. Haven't seen those two things going together. Again, Chief Technology and Security Officer for Seattle Children's. We welcome again, Gary Gooden. Gary, good having you. Uh, thanks for having me here today. I'm really appreciative of the chance to speak to you again. Well, this topic is so relevant today in a, in a pandemic, you know, 13 months, we've seen more stimulus around innovation and change than I've seen in a long, long time. And, uh, and quite frankly, uh, a lot new of, uh, around that innovation and change has been new technology as well. So if I can, if I can be a fly on the wall for a second, and you're in a room, you're talking to your C-level peers and uh, your CIO, and we're, you, you haven't assumed the title yet, but you're talking about this new title, Security Technology, uh, Chief Technology and Security Officer. Tell me why the two go together. Why in your mind is that a natural thing to have in your title? Well, it's something that I've been thinking about personally for several years, um, this whole idea of innovation through security. And given, given the exponential increase in the threat landscape, it's becoming even more critical and even more obvious that everything that we do within our environment, and I'm speaking specifically um, as it relates to our pediatric health system, and I think the same thing applies to almost any other environment where our assets have to be protected in some way, shape, or form that security is becoming more of a preeminent um, activity for a whole bunch of different reasons. And if the notion, and I'm, again, I'm speaking specifically about our environment, if the notion that our clinicians and our providers are here to provide effective, effective treatments at point of care in as, in as a seamless a way as possible, and if our research partners here to um, find cures as quickly as they can and be able to interact with the environment internally and externally as best they can in, a, on, in an, uh, an, un, as an unfettered way as possible, then it becomes clearly obvious that you have to use security as a tip of your spear. You have to lead with security. So security then becomes the key driver to push you along the pathway towards innovation. Um, for, for, for the very simple premise that we have things to protect, then we need to protect them. So we have to introduce this whole idea of frictionless security. That is correct. And the uh, what I find fascinating is we don't see that that uh, that title uh, at all very often where the two are tied together, where security 
is seen as the point of the spear, like you said, that leads to innovation and change to make your organization's business more effective. And, uh, and that's just remarkable. Give me some examples of how that, that basic change in the way you thought about your role and, uh, and your peers think of their role. Tell me some instances how that's changing the organizational culture at Seattle Children's. So um, from a technology perspective, Seattle Children's is no different than many other organizations <clears throat> and you know, good, bad, or indifferent that for years have had structural silos within their technology teams. Um, so you'll have an infrastructure team that doesn't necessarily um, always collaborate the same way in which they should with a software development team or a security team or any other team for that matter. And what specifically in the security space, they, the title of the CISA is a fairly new title, right? I think the title came around in the early 2000s. Um, and it's essentially been an offshoot of infrastructure. This little thing that's just on the side that you have to do. And so you'd find people who drift into the security area, usually coming from infrastructure, or you'd have people coming into this security area who are more compliance tuned. Um, so it's more about risk and compliance specifically. So as the threat landscape has changed, so has the importance of the role. And when I came to Children's back in 2019, it was the crossroads where the security team of the security stack at that point in time was still in a situation where it was seen as a, almost as a secondary role in the organization uh, the, the import from, an, from an importance perspective within the secure, within the technology space. And that's not uh, necessarily anything negative against the organization. It's just, it's just the way in which that particular discipline has developed over time. And it can, and that I think applies to many, many different companies. And it became very clear that not only we had to address the three things, people, process, and technology, but we had to address them in a way in which we start to integrate um, with other entities within the organization, specifically on the infrastructure side. Um, I'll, so I'll say, you know, the only difference between a network engineer and a security engineer is a network engineer is thinking about how to get from point A to point B as quickly as possible. And a security engineer is trying to think about how to get a point from point A to point B as quickly as possible and as securely as possible. So they're essentially the same DNA that has come at it from a slightly different angle. And what happened is that we started to start to interact more and more and more. And consequently, got to the point where it became obvious that there is there is many many synergies and so in actively driving the conversation around the what ifs and doing more cross collaborative types of projects you start to just naturally see a different type of interaction um, case in point um, we also have within our remit cyber physical security and our interaction with the physical security team has changed over the past two years 
so much so that we tend to think about strategy within the cyber physical space. And from, from as we would think about strategy in any other technology space. And just by bringing that type of thought leadership and the whole idea of best practices around strategic planning and technology best practices, you, and you start to interact with a physical security team that might not necessarily have operated that way. What you're essentially doing um, is creating a different type of conversation. And just by having that type of conversation, you're slowly changing the DNA as an unintended benefit. Taking the, two, uh, yeah. taking the two cultures together and letting them play together. Yes, and not necessarily, you know, stating a, you know, putting them in a box. There is no there, there is no starting line, or and, and there's no finish line per se. It's just is simply creating an environment where you can have individuals interact in a different way, and to have conversations in a different way, and feel comfortable having those conversations. And that that to me has been um, enlightening. In many many respects, absolutely. Give uh, give me a couple of case studies, if you will, use cases where you've seen a stark a, the beginning of that change and how it's transforming how you uh, review technology, adopt technology, and measure technology. Give, give me a couple of ideas that you've done recently. So when we think about the future of work, we have to think about the future of remote work. And um, in March of 2020, when most of us were scattered to the four corners, so to speak, um, because of the pandemic, um, we had to accelerate and, uh, and, and step up our remote capability. And that was just using the traditional um, tools that you would tend to find in other organizations of similar stature. So, or virtual private network access or, or, or remote access through say Citrix and running virtualized sessions and so on and so forth. And we simply accelerated the, our capacity and usage. But that in of itself introduces complexity. Complexity and sometimes vagueness in terms of how to utilize what, when, how, when, where, and why. And, you know, or, or end user population, just like the rest of our population, quite frankly, the rest of the world, um, we're faced with all kinds of different family related pressures and kids out of school and everything else that goes along with having to try to manage your life in the in a lockdown state, right? And so why would we want to know through on top of that, um, the additional pressures of trying to figure out how to connect into your environment to continue doing the work you're assigned to do. Um, now to the credit of the technology teams, we're able to do that by, I said, by virtue of, of expanding out the traditional tool sets that we have. But again, it, it, it came with a price in terms of the efficiency with which we're working. So when we think about the future of remote work, it is really a simple premise. Um, your experience 
outside of our network should be the same experience as you see if you were sitting within our network, regardless of where you are and regardless of time of day. If you're at home in a coffee shop, in an airport, in a hotel, if you're using a, a, a company assigned asset or your own or some other asset, you should be able to get to what you need to get to without thinking about it. Um, and that's a severe trick. So the trick is then how to then apply the right security controls while um, imposing as little friction as possible to uh, afford the end user the wherewithal to simply just, just go about their business of work. Um, so that was so that was a challenging homework problem, and we spent eight months working on that homework problem. And we think we have now solved the homework problem. Um, not to really get into the technology per se, but it, it's really again predicated in this idea of zero trust. Um, zero trust in a frictionless world. So that's one actual example that we're that that's that's coming to fruition today. Um, that's going to change our remote work going forward. Our remote, our remote work program is permanent for a percentage of our employment or employees, and it will be hybrid for another percentage. Um, and it's not a transient thing. Um, if you look at what we're seeing now within the country and the world, we have all these different variants of the virus popping up left and right. Uh, we have people who are still wondering about whether they should get vaccinated or not. You have countries that are at different stages of their inoculation rates. So this particular um, uh, the, um, situation is gonna be with us for years to come. And it's going to morph into different things. So there is, I, I see promise in the sense that it has allowed technologists, it has allowed, it has forced businesses to really remove the handbrakes and let technologists try to help them innovate. So that's been a key, um, key point for us in terms of how, to, how we've gone about trying to build up this new remote work world. Um, so that's one big use case. Um, the other use case really comes back to what I've been referring to in terms of this organic change in our DNA by virtue of allowing people to collaborate. And that collaboration has allowed the cyber physical team to really start to interact and, and integrate a lot more seamlessly in terms of activities with our physical security team and with the teams that lead our construction projects. Um, Prior to, prior to me being here, those are very, very solid activities and it was very hard for them to collaborate and interact. Um, so just by virtue of having these constant conversations back and forth about different things, different ideas, different thoughts, it has it, it, it engendered a way of thinking that I'm starting to see where it's becoming more dynamic. Um, you know, another example, um, you have a situation where you, you might have a set of technologists who are used to doing things a certain way for years. So there may be parts of their brain that does not exercising. So by coming in and just asking the question, well, why are we doing it this way? Why would we not want to think about doing it a different way or to think about what it should be two, three, four, five years on the road? That type of conversation whether they like it or not, forces them to think in a different way. 
And then you'll have people who will want to think in a different way because it's just their natural place. They like to think about, they like to think about things outside the box. Then there are people who are more inclined to think about things within the box. And then there are people who just want things to remain the same. But all of those entities have to start having conversations. And the hope is that those who um, are comfortable thinking about the what-ifs will pull those along who aren't comfortable. And that's what I'm also starting to see today. I think, uh, I think the whole idea of the what-if, the questions that haven't been asked because of very simple things like, I, I can't go to my boss asking for resources and uh, new technology because uh, I'm constrained, we're, we're, we have a budget. It sounds like you're giving them permission to say, I'll worry about the budget. I want you asking the right questions. Am I reading that correctly? Kind of. I mean, we still worry about those things, but um, the whole idea is based on doing the doing the homework yeah. figuring out the problem articulating the problem and the solution clearly to garner the support that you're going to need to move it forward and if you get the support to then execute and do it successfully so that when you need to do it again you have just increased your goodwill which makes it harder to makes which I'm sorry, which makes it easier to then do it again and rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Right, right. Yeah. One of the things I uh, I've noted over the last year or so is um, on the physical security side, getting more interested in being more proactive around protective intelligence. Um, it, it can be through pain. Uh, that is, since we didn't ask, we, we didn't come up with a core process for identifying proactively threats in advance and proactively knew how we would respond to them if they actually came to fruition. Uh, that whole, that whole uh, workflow, if you will, uh, from identification to, to uh, notification, um, as a core process, as a measurable core process. That's something you've been dealing with on the cyber side for years. Are we starting, I, this doesn't have to be just a children's question, are we seeing a change in, um, in our attitudes on the physical security side of proactive risk identification? Are we seeing I mean, new technologies there? I mean, it's hard for me to say uh, from an industry perspective, um, I can speak to what I'm seeing within my space and I'll tie it back to um, a change that I'm seeing within the role of the traditional CISO. And the term traditional CISO is a bit of a misnomer given the fact that it's such a relatively young role. Um, so there's nothing really traditional about it. Um, I, I'm seeing more um, cybersecurity leaders now having cyber physical under their remit as well. And that being said, I still see by virtue of my interactions in conferences, sitting in panels, what have you, um, a bit of surprise when they hear that I also have cyber physical. Um, and it's surprise 
tinge with a bit of, you know, oh, I wish I had that, right? And, and, I, and my consistent point to them, I said, well, I have it because it's important in the sense that if I can't affect an opinion relative to security controls that you should apply in the physical space that are technology related, then I'm blind to a threat vector that I have no control over. So therefore, by virtue of having it within my remit, I can now effect an opinion on that particular side of our physical security footprint relative to potential threat vectors and provide some measure of mitigation, either in terms of physical um, controls or just in terms of process and procedure. So because we have that in our remit, <clears throat> what it's allowed us to do is to interact with the physical team differently. And like I said before, in a way in which we're having conversations today that are richer than they would have had uh, in, in prior years, simply because the topics of discussion are more related to technology, the topics of discussion tend to pull them into discussions with other technology leaders. They are seeing how technology practices are applied uh, from, a, from, a, from, a, from a standards perspective. They're getting exposed to the rigor in terms of the way you go about documentation and follow-up, et cetera, et cetera. So a lot of the, your quote unquote, best practices from a technology's perspective are now being shared in the physical security space where they might not have been shared in years past because it has operated differently. So that to me has been um, insightful. I just, uh, I just love that story, Gary. Thank you for sharing it. Uh, one final question before we sign off. Um, since this pandemic occurred and sickness is seen as a threat vector, do you, do you see within a hospital setting, because it's certainly the discussion in uh, business settings is, is, uh, is going on right now, but do you see uh, the need to maybe start certifying the health, like a vaccine card of somebody before they enter the hospital, either uh, on the work team, as well as the visitors? Do you see that coming in the future? I do. I mean, we, uh, it, it's something that, I mean, it, you know, people talk about some sort of national vaccination ID, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and I'm sure those, there are people who will politicize it. Um, I just, I see it as a natural progression based on where we are today, but this is my opinion. Um, I haven't heard of any specific initiative in that regard, but it just seems like it's just a, a natural trend line to follow. Yes. Yes. Well, this has been a great conversation with our good friend, Gary Gooden, Chief Technology and Security Officer at Seattle Children's Research and Hospital. Gary, it's been a great conversation once again with you, my friend, and um, we'll, catch up. we'll catch up in another number of months uh, to see where that organic culture that you've stimulated and some of the outputs uh, that have come from that. Uh, Ron, thank you very much. And um, yeah, we more than happy to come back at some point in the future, giving up this. Absolutely. You have a good week. Thanks again thank to you. Gary Gooden. Thank you.